Yeah, well, thanks, everybody, for joining us on a live edition of the 12 Days of Barrel Picks. Um, unfortunately, doing it over Instagram instead of in person, but state of the world these days. We'll, we'll try to correct that. Um, Is the world on fire down there? Sorry, fuck, I just fucked it up. It might be. It might be. Who knows? It could be. Um, I think we're surviving, though. It's too cold to be on fire at this point. Uh, it's pretty nice out up here. About two degrees, one degree, I think. Yep, it's about what it is here, too. So, yeah, we are doing a live edition for day 10 of the 12 Days of Barrel Picks with uh, the great people at Dancing Goat and their founder, head distiller, leader, father of one, and MVP of 2021, Keena Lake, Nick Brady Moss. I'd just like to say, I don't know what quantifies me as the MVP of the Keena Lake <laughs> podcast this year, but I... Nothing has made me more excited than hearing that I made that status and that I am, in fact, the MVP of 2021. And I would like everyone to know, especially Matt Brown, Mm. that Mm. I intend to take it again in 2022. Oof, already called him out. Early early contenders are already peeing their pants, how how scared they are. Well, I heard he did a – I heard contrary to past performance, he did a really good job this year. You know, he was okay. He had less appearances, so he had, he was viable to make less mistakes. That's fair. That is yeah. fair. I mean, Callum obviously can't win it because he's not from America. Uh, not fair. Will, Wilson, he bailed on us multiple times. So, Well, yeah, that's the thing is, you know, he keeps not coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, well, why do you even start if you're not going to finish? <laughs> that's what she said. I know. That's where I got it from. Awesome. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, yeah, everybody, thanks for joining us on your lunch, your break. Maybe you're still like me and have two more days of Christmas vacation before you have to go back to work. Um, So we're just going to enjoy and talk about the single barrel program of Dancing Goat and even highlight one of their barrel picks if he has it laying around over there in good old Whiskey City. Oh, I can get it for sure. I don't have any barrel picks. I only have the six here and the cast strength. So... Makes sense. We just started doing them this year. Um, yeah. We did them in Mich- Michigan. Was a big market for us for them. Um, uh, and that, that's uh, people. I don't know if most people know this, but I'm actually from Michigan. I was born there, um, and so uh, it's a it's a market I know really, 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 really well because my dad knows it really well. Um, and uh, and I love Michigan personally. Um, but they drink there. They drink. They drink in Michigan like they don't drink. Single barrel specifically, they drink single barrels like they don't drink anywhere else. It's crazy. It's the Wild West. If you're not selling single barrels in Michigan, you need to start mm. uh, to any everybody. And there's room for everybody. It's ridiculous. Um, and you're talking, you know, if, if you're somebody who's used to having a sit, single barrel sit for you know a week, a couple weeks, or maybe two months, three months, if it's a hand sell, um, you know, that doesn't mean it was a. It, that's a, that doesn't mean that those barrels aren't good. I have those barrels too, but those barrels don't happen in Michigan as long as the the spirit is palatable. The way that the people drink, especially it's it's mostly in that Livonia area, um, Livonia, Farmington Hills, um, that kind of wine palace is a really good one. Um, the Rusty Keg's another one, but the the retailers are really keyed in with their customers, and their palates are very good. The customers commit to people's palates, and and they they are buying consistently in order to get points for allocated items, and, and they love single barrel sex. It's a great market. Um, but then, uh, anyways, the reason why I'm fucking talking about it is. And then our other big market, obviously, Wisconsin, got a ton of barrel picks. Um, but there's actually only two single barrel picks in Illinois this year, which is probably why you haven't seen them. And one where, was a specialty corn whiskey. Um, oh. The other one was a limousine rye single barrel. Where were those at? 
Oh, they're at Doty's Liquors. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, Doty's great. They're fucking great. Absolutely. Elmhurst, right? I Elmhurst. Sure. I think it's around there. Yeah. Um, yeah. They. Uh, we'll. Uh, so we're looking at uh, the the corn whiskey is awesome. It's a seven year. It's not a finished one, so it's it's a really interesting one to compare to our, uh, what I usually like to do with our our corn whiskeys. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a it's a banger, man. It's a banger of a barrel, and their their limo barrel is real fucking good too. Um, and so I'm hoping. So yeah, hopefully. let's take us take us through that. Where when are you? So you're doing a single barrel of your corn whiskey. That whiskey obviously was contracted somewhere else, correct? Yeah, that's MGP. So um, there's a we bought a lot of MGP uh, originally with the, the start of our business. And um, one thing that I really like is used cooperage. I think I'm the only one that really does a lot of that, except for uh, I know that Victor's American US One uses a uh, used cooperage on a rye mash bill. Um, I think they've done enough bourbon too. And I think uh, Crown Royal's done a bourbon mash. And I don't know if that was a new new or used Cooperage, but I think because it was Canadian, it might have been new Cooperage. And because it was Canadian, so it had to go to mash. But I make a lot of, you know, whiskey from a rye mash, whiskey from a bourbon mash, whiskey from a corn, all that stuff. Um, and uh, uh, the corn whiskey is interesting because my, my uncle called me and he said, you know, you're the only person, you and your daddy are the only idiots that like you know, the, the American whiskey, that's not what he called it. They use Cooperage is, is what they call it. And they actually cleared out all of their inventory to us. They made us a deal. This was, uh, I think it was in 2017, early 2017. And so we ended up with a bunch of mash bills that we never actually purchased originally. And a lot of them are the really well-known mash. Like I have a bunch of 21% rye bourbon mashes. I have a bunch of 21, the 36 rye bourbon mashes. And the 21, 36 is some of the more really popular mash bills out of MGP. Um, but we have them obviously as bourbon mashes. And so I think a lot of those are six, seven, eight years old, um, you know, great, stellar, fantastic. And, and they're just ripe to be finished. Um, but we have a lot, I have a lot of six, seven, eight, nine year old inventory from MGP in used Cooperage um, just because they want, during the bourbon craze, man, they wanted to get rid of it all because people weren't buying it and people just wanted space to store new fill. And so that's what they, you know, they <laughs> liquidated the inventory. The other funny, you know, that's happened to me one at a time. Uh, it was during COVID. No one could get no GNS. And my uh, my uncle calls me and he's like, hey, man, he's like, I need you to do me a favor. And I was like, what? And he goes, you get your dad on the phone. You tell him I need a favor. And so I was like, OK. So I call him. Dad. I'm like, oh, Uncle B needs a favor. Let's call him. We call him. And he goes, all right. So you guys are the only idiots I know that would do this. He goes, you've been calling me for the state of Wisconsin on sanitizer. No one can get any GNS. What if I told you I can get you as much as you need? But you have to take it. You have to take a tanker a week for the entire summer, and it has to be non-GMO corn. And I was like, why the fuck would I do that? <laughs> I was like, why would I take that? Because I can't use it for production. It's no good. right? It's, right. it's at the weird congener level. I don't like it. But he said to me, he goes, we have, you know, four full bin, grain bins, which is probably about a million bushels total. I think they're, I think these are Indiana or maybe they're Kansas, but they're about a quarter million uh, bushel hoppers bins. And, uh, and he's like, we have 10 dudes around the country that are going to, that'll bid for this. He goes, you know, put in your bid. And I was like, no, I'm not going to bid. Let me know how much I got to take. And I'll let you know what I'll give you for it. And we ended up having to take every summer over COVID a uh, tanker, a GNS. But it was really great because we just farmed it out to all the people in Wisconsin that needed alcohol, okay. um, you know, to make hand sanity with. Yeah. And so, but uh, it was, it was cool. But that's the only two times I've ever been told, you know, hey, what will you pay for this? And it was like, oh man, I'll devalue that inventory real quick. It's like, oh, no one else wants it. I want it. <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah, Seems so to I be have a lot of that. And so the, um, I do a couple of different things. And so for my single barrel selects, those are what I think more of what you'd call like a 
95%, that's more what you call a true single barrel, like an actual true single barrel. One barrel the whole time, never changed. Liquids never changed, never blended. You know, I'll drop proof. I do drop proof, but sometimes I don't. It depends if my inventory has lived in Indiana its whole life or if it's lived over here and what it actually is and what my age plan is for it. But um, our dance, we call them Dancing Goat Selects. Our Dancing Goat Great because, um, sorry about that. Uh, is, uh, that's where we do these true single barrels, mostly MGP sources. I'm just going to walk in the vault right now. Um, right. And, uh, you know, that's where a lot of people have seen, like, our American corn whiskeys. Um, and then some of the, like, the 21 rye bourbon, the 36 rye bourbon, those were all done through that American. Dancing go to America. So when you just talking about deciding if you're going to bring the proof down at all, what about aging it in Indiana and Wisconsin makes you determine how, how to, what, what proof level to actually bottle it at? Oh, no. We're losing the, oh, we got you. Sorry, what did you, you say? said, um, when you talk about lowering the proof level on single barrels, because technically or usually traditionally single barrels are at cast strength for most companies. What determine comes to determining if it's going to be a lower proof based on being barrel aged in Indiana its whole life or both uh, Indiana and Wisconsin? I think the big thing that's going to determine how I proof it and like, you know, what is cast strength? You know what I'm saying? Like just, yeah. you know, barrel, barrel entry and cast strength are never the same. You know, if you're down in, if you're down in Kentucky, I've never in my entire life ever seen a, a Kentucky single barrel come out at 120.0 proof. You know what I mean? I guarantee you that's what most people are entering at or have been entering at. Um, but down there, you get a lot more evaporation. You get a lot more angel share. You get a lot of that loss. Um, but for me specifically, um, depending on what I'm making is going to dictate what I want it to age at in terms of potential, like in terms of like solvent strength, right? And so I might add, you know, I might let something sit at 120 proof for like two years and then knock it down to 115. And it won't take much to knock it down because it's already dropped to 116 or 117, you know. But I want to get that, especially in my bourbons, I want a full spectrum of, of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, I want a full spectrum of extraction of tannins. So okay. I want to make sure that I'm getting tannins at all different proofs. Dink, 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 dink. It's going, to prov it's going to provide a much fuller and a much diverse, more diverse bouquet. Um, and so I usually end up adding things like to my rise, I'll drop them twice over their, their six year for my limo. Um, it's a small drop, but it's still a drop. They'll end up at 110. They'll start at 120. And so we'll sit at 120 and that that'll self proof down to about 118, 117. And then I'll proof that down to 115. And then I'll self proof down to about 100, 113, 112. And then I'll proof down to about 110. And then, um, well, this, this actually really, that, this takes us right into our limo single barrels, which is great. Um, so our limo single barrels aren't actual legitimate single barrels. They're a blended single barrel. And mm. so every limousine batch is a blend because I have to blend to fill my Solera, which is limousine oak, which makes it my limousine rock. And so what we do for single barrels for that is uh, we'll take our, you know, well, I'll do those drops in proof. And then I'm sitting with something that's about 112 to 110 proof. I'll then blend that, fill my Solera. And part of that blend is a retain. Like that's what makes it a Solera is it's that mother load that we leave in for every batch. And so we'll evacuate our Solera um, and then fill it back up with that blend. And that'll be our new, our next batch, our next load, whether mm. it's for, you know, whether it's for something that we want to focus on for single barrels or our main blend, we'll find out later, but that, that's how we do that. So then the fluid that we then evacuated, we re-barrel 
into the barrels that we just dumped to fill the Solera. And so what we'll do is we'll put those in and they'll be at about 100, somewhere between 110 and 112 proof. And then we'll proof those down over the course of six months, I mean, three months, six months, a year, depends on kind of where we're sitting, how much we have, how much we want to move. And then we'll let start people tasting them at about six or seven months. And so what we'll see is we start to get a really full extraction from all those barrels. And we end up with barrels that we end up with in the blending process, we match things that have great bouquets and good finishes, right? And so most of that fluid now has great bouquets and good finishes. So we've already created a great barrel, right? And then we're just looking for really full bouquets with extremely great finishes, and those become our single barrels. And so we'll pull those out, dink, 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 some of those, and we'll stop proofing those where we think they're going to be best. And so if some of those don't want to, if we don't want to drop them under 110, we'll leave them at 110. You know, if we want to take them, you know, if it's at 113 and we really like it, leave it at 113. You know, if it's at 107 and it's still a little short on the finish, you know, add a little water, add a little water, add a little water. Contrary to what most people believe, adding water in the barrel, you know, when you proof after you're out of the barrel, you're just diluting flavor. When you proof inside of the barrel, you're adding more liquid, which is going to extract more tannin in a different flavor range than what you already have in there because you've changed the polarity to solve it. Right. And so when you proof down inside of a barrel, and you even see this shit now, like, like these motherfuckers, those old elk motherfuckers, they just talk, they're talking about their slow proof and how they slow proof over a week in a tank. And it's like, okay, you still don't get it. Right. You don't know what you're talking about because that's not slow. That's right. Not, well, it you it's know, not you slow and you're extracting whiskey from a live organism with, with the wood right there and putting yeah. it into just solid steel or whatever vat your type of vat you're using from it. it's a whole different situation because you can, you are you can be technically aging the whiskey in that vat in a different way you could yeah you know and that's and, and the way that ttb regs have been rewritten is all time in wood counts to age right. so if if you're if you're proofing down in your wood you and we had a you know we had a single barrel selection that we pulled for in january let's, let's say this year i'm looking at single barrels right now for this week we're about to pull a Solera load out, which means that we're going to create a bunch of single barrels, you know. And, you know, six months from now, I'll start looking at these and I'll say, you know, there's some of these that are, are, are stellar and we're going to select these for single barrels. The rest are going to go into our main blend. But even what I'm putting in the barrel right now, six months from now, is not going to taste the same. Even though it'll be lower in proof, it'll have much better bouquet. It'll have a much better finish. It'll have a denser bouquet because we're going to start pulling water solubles out of the barrel that haven't been extracted yet. But then the other thing that we're doing is we're, we're marrying, right? We're letting flavors develop and, and, and dance, ask your chain develop. Um, but then the other thing that's, that's really, really important that we've done is, you know, it's still aged another six months. And so what I'm taking today that's at six years old, that single barrel six months from now will be halfway to seven years old. And then let's are, say in a- are, your, are all of your single barrels technically like, finishes? Can you restart that? Because you were uh, buffering. Oh no, you're buffering now. No. <laughs> no. What I asked, what, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, what I asked was, are all your single barrels then technically finishes that are coming out of the Solera? Um, I guess technically uh, you uh. could say that. Um, I'm not intentionally barrel finishing it. Like I'm not putting it in like another barrel to barrel finish it, but it is being barrel finished. You know. Right. I mean, I look at my whole product as a as a double barrel finished product. You know what I mean? I make a blend and then I finish it in my Solera and then I barrel finish it when I proof it and make another blend out of it. How much are you taking out of the Solera system at a time? 
Oh, close to seven. It depends about seven or 800 uh, gallons. What percentage of that is the whole system is that? Uh, about 70%. It's about a thousand gallon system. Oh, so it's, oh wow, you're taking that much out at a time. Yeah, and so we'll leave about 25% of the, the mother load is about 25%. Gotcha. Huh. Interesting. Cool, right? Yeah, so I didn't know you're taking that much high out of the, I think the last time, well, I've only seen it one time, and you're kind of just like operating with it all then, so I don't think we actually got around to how much, or I was running around with those somewhere taking photos. Who knows? You never know. Okay, well, so back to your single barrels. Like um, the one we were going to talk about was a Spaniard, which recently came out with Sealbox. What was the process for that one? So the Spaniard is one of my favorite things in the world. Let me grab it here. So the Spaniard's a really interesting thing because this is a single barrel, right? But um, and and I, and it's like I got this right here. This is one of my malted bourbons. So this is a true single barrel, right? It's just a, it's a single barrel of malted bourbon. It's never been touched. It's never been proofed down. Um, even if I proofed it down, I'd still say it's a single, true single barrel. It stayed in that barrel. We tasted it from that barrel in order to, you know what I mean, to sample it to people to purchase it. Yeah. This was done a little differently. And so this was a project specifically for Total Wine uh, for the region. And so I was thinking about I knew we were doing uh, single barrels. Um, my rep at the time, um, it's a distributor that we switched from, from that since now, but he told me, you know, we, we got in with the, the regional. He really wants to do a rye because the only other rye he has is Driftless Glen, and they, and they think that um, there's opportunity for other products to do well there. And, um, and so they started talking to us about a single barrel rye. And then I told him, I was like, I was thinking in my head, I was like, because yeah, they were talking about buying one barrel for all four stores in the region. And I was like, come on, like, what's the point? What's the point? Your total line, what is the point? What's the point? And so I said, well, they can only buy what I show them. You know, if, if I show them a barrel that's 300 liters, they can't see you. I don't show, if I don't show them a 70 liter barrel, they're stuck with it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, I, I found, I had three barrels of corn whiskey that were all really good, but they were really, and they're about seven years old, but their finishes were really, really short. And so I knew that I wanted to barrel finish them somehow. And so, and I had, I just had laying around a 300 liter, um, Spanish oak barrel, toasted. Tell you laying car. around, you know, in a corner. Don't worry about it. Well, you know, the thing is, is Jim Beam didn't want it. And so Jim Beam didn't want it. It got sold to me. And, you know, and now they won't make me another one, which we covered before how stupid that is. But, um, yeah, I yeah, er around. And everybody, in Independence Dave, and tell them we need another Spaniard, baby. Yeah, hit them up, dude. Hit up Kentucky Bourbon Barrel, Independence Dave Company, and tell them that we need more Spaniard. I even said I'll buy a container. I'll buy a container of them. Bring, bring the oak over dude let's do it um but i knew that these this oak is really reactive very reactive especially when it's toasted and charred lightly and so i knew is it x-sherry what there's no sherry in there it just looks like sherry but is the barrel x-sherry no it, it was brand new oh it's brand new it okay brand i didn't realize new. that so i knew the tannins were gonna be wild coming out you know and so uh i i let it sit I did a blend of three corn whiskeys that I knew needed a little more finish to them. Um, yeah. Things that tasted like nice, they, they can't taste like nice bourbons. Like they're nice thin bourbons, young bourbons, what they taste like even though it's seven years old. And so I popped them with the Spanish oak for two reasons. One, I knew that it would give the tannin it needed to become a complete and awesome whiskey. Like look at the difference in color. These are from the same lot. Sorry, I'm not probably not doing the best. No, no it looks great. I mean, you can definitely tell. Like uh, Mikey just said, it has a coffee color to it. You know, and so these are two different ones. So this is a Kirschwasser finished barrel, which is a cherry brandy that I, I 
used to finish before to great results. And then this is the Spanish show. So the Spaniard oh, was originally meant for Total Wine, correct? Correct, yeah. And so Total Wine ended up backing out. And then my buddy Drew, who runs the Entry Proof content, uh, podcast, he had told me at his tasting in July, he said, if there, anything happens for any reason to Total Wine backing out, I want it. I'll do anything to get it. And so that's how he ended up with it through Sealbox. Um, but what, what we did is, you know, we, we blended three whiskeys that needed to be improved. And then we found the barrel that would improve and we made a perfect, what I would call a perfect single barrel. Um, I love this, this barrel. I love, and it's, it's so fun for me because people will get it and they, they're skeptical for a lot of different reasons. And some of them talk a lot of shit after the first pour, you know, they'll call me and they'll be like, it's closed, it's muted, it's too bitter. And I go, so you neck poured it. When did you, when did you, when, when did you open it? last week oh, and like this is the good thing about like answering every instagram message is you, you you hear the people talking shit you can tell them like why don't you go try it now it sat like this for a week right. fucking go try it now and then they come back and they go oh my god i'm so sorry can i buy more and what are the like, notes oh. what are the notes you're getting from it right now but a lot of leather a lot of a lot of like deep earth notes and so leather pops out dark pits like pit cherries pop out um it's it's just a great barrel there's tons of caramel in it um, which there wasn't before. Before, it was a very light, creamy corn note. Hold on, let me grab a glass. Yeah, definitely. Very light, creamy corn note. Nick's just, uh, Nick's just walking around looking for a glass. If you're watching right now, that's the whiskey vault that he built for me to be his podcast studio that I haven't gone to see yet. Oh, so. should I give you, you want to see? I, I can do a little camera flip. Here, I'm well, I, I've seen the inside just on a video, but not in person. So. Well, it's Some, Someday. Someday. Yes, we all need one of these volts those some uh nice decanters up top there oh yeah, yeah. little little part of my collection yeah nice and things over here get wild oh I'm yes i'm in the middle of redoing it because i got to get these vents figured out because they're just blasting hot air on my shoes that's not great it's not great for whiskey well especially for like my train like, my, like i have a full training set just getting blasted <laughs> like i don't think so you know no way. awesome so yeah, uh yeah. what was the mash bill on the spaniard 100% corn. 100% corn, okay. LSQV, 100% corn, LSQV.MGP. So that's one of their yeast profiles with a barrel profile. So it was second use ISCs with their LQ. And so it was a fucking awesome, awesome, awesome yeah. match. And then, you know, people on this Instagram Live are pretty aware of what you've, what you've been doing with Dancing Goat and are aware of how we document it. But if anybody who's listening to this on the podcast version, now it's just going back to like, I think it's episode like 137 or something like that, where we did our first podcast with you, um, talking about everything. And then our World Whiskey Day podcast as well, going into what Dancing Goat really is founded on, um, all this experimentation buying up stocks of barrels, as you mentioned, um, from MGP, working with weird mash bills, working with unique mash bills. But when it comes to you, what you do, what you do differently than a lot of places to be, separate yourself as unique is the Solera system, the barrel aging system, everything you do after you get the juice, but you're also distilling yourself too. Yeah, we, we distill a lot. Um, so we, we're going through right now an install. Um, we, got, we just got a 16 or an 18 inch Vendome column in with a doubler. And so that's gonna crank rye that'll do four mashables for us that'll be a 95 rye stepped out which we've talked about before so that's all different types of yeast and five percent grain input so oh wheat malted oat malted wheat malted rye barley brewer's malt all that anything i really want to do on that five percent so that'll be one quarter of the year the next quarter of the year we'll go to 44 percent rye bourbon 
and then 44% rye bourbon will take us straight into 49% malt bourbon. And then we'll do a, a completely complete shutdown and reclean. And this is just on the one system on the new yep. vendors coming in. And the last quarter of the year, we'll go back to 95 rye. And it'll be the traditional 95 rye targeting our targeting our, our source goods from MGP. And so that's going to end up being, um, you know, the first 95 rye is a Danko rye. Uh, I love Danko rye. I call myself King Danko because I'm the only person that cooks Danko rye in the States. Um, and I love to smoke dank weed. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the uh, the... The second, the fourth quarter on that still, we're targeting the MGP profile and everything I know about MGP tells me that they do not use one varietal of yeast. And I'm trying to figure out what varietals they do use. And so this year is gonna be the first year that we try it. It's gonna be done in our brand new still, but um, I'm gonna see if I can get them to sell me some yeast or yeast culture. If they're not willing to, uh, my friends at Wilderness Trail are, are willing to come up with a, a yeast kind of blend that they think will kind of match our MGP product pretty well if we can get the grain down. And then we're actually going to do a blend of rye grains. We're going to do KWS Serafino, Brissetto, and Ardenko to see if we can get a little bit more closer to that 95.5 um, traditional from MGP um, flavor. And obviously we're not, it's not going to be perfect. That's exactly why we're doing it is it's just another shade, right? Mm -hmm. So then on top of that, I'll also source at least one, if not three tankers of 95.5 LQRS from then that's the standard um, fermentation time, uh, uh, batch size, column distilled, double finished, and yeast profile that everyone sells for their 95.5. So I'll source probably somewhere between one or three to three tankers that this year. Um, and, and then the other three mash bills or the other two mash bills on that the 49 malted bourbon and the 44% rye bourbon will also source a tanker each of those. And so you, the idea is, is to have our distillates that we love from MGP that we've made in addition to all the other stuff that we'll make. Um, because that's going online, that's our fourth still that's being installed here. Um, the other one is being used for, the other little guys being used for brandy and small batch whiskeys, they're kind of esoteric. And then the other bigger pot still is used for gin. And then we use that for pot still finishes on rye. And then on our column that we currently have, we'll run really, 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 really weird bourbons. Like Bill, my fermenters for the head frame are very tall. And so I'll do use a lot of Belgian Saison yeast in them because it'll flocculate in a really nice way to create really nice fruity esters. And then we'll, we'll intentionally stress those yeasts by underpitching them and fermenting them hot to make really fruity rye and really fruity bourbons. And the other thing that we'll make a lot of on that still is 100% corn whiskey for tobacco, our, our stuff that we've sourced from MGP, as well as malts, a lot of 100% malt. And even when I say 100% malt, that's just, you know, it was made of malt. It does not mean it was always the same malt. It's very, very seldomly do I make things from just one type of grain, even if it is 100% rye, 100% malt, 100% corn. Exploration, baby. Exploration. So do you, are you doing that 95% rye to really maintain what you already developed from MGP stock and then kind of keep it consistent in a way of keeping it consistent as much as possible by using your own distillate? Um, I really, I, I love that distillate. I really do. You know, you'll hear me criticize Greg Metz a lot on a lot of the things that he says and does. Um, and very rarely is it on distilling. It's more mm -hmm. on like point of view on life and, how you treat people and the words you use to communicate yourself, you know, but you'll never hear me actually say Metz is a fucking moron. <laughs> never done anything good. Cause he's not a fucking moron. He's just a jackass. 
And so uh, the best thing that he's ever done in his whole life is the 95-5 recipe. Um, he invented that at, well, I mean, they say he invented it, but, you know, did he invent it or has Seagram been making that forever? Who knows, you know? Mm. But one thing that he did do really well is he created the American rye craze of that 95-5. That was all him 100% with his time at MGP. And so uh, it's a distillate that is superior in, in my belief uh, to most other mash mills, you know, I've made a lot of 51 rye. I, I plan on making a lot of 51 rye in perpetuity. I really believe that, that rye and corn in proportional relationships, the closer you can get, I mean, that's, I make a 44 rye bourbon. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That's, that's, you know, the only, I mean, the only closer you get is take the malt out and make a 49 rye bourbon. I've done that. It's great. You know, when corn and rye get similar in proportion, you make the rye really accessible because you have enough cream to get all those spices to, to layer out and stratify out and become identifiable. And so I love, I love that 95 Nashville because by changing that 5%, it's still so ride out, but you have enough of that cream, enough of that malt um, to, to really allow certain things to pop intensely. So like if, if that Nashville was closer to 51%, it mellows a lot. Whereas right. 95, it's very intense. And that's how you end up with things like straight wintergreen, straight spearmint. You know, black pepper is the really popular one. It's kind of the cop out. And I intentionally barrel not to get that, you know, but guayacol, eugenol, baking spice, nutmeg, all these beautiful flavors, those pop out because of the intensity of rye. And so if you're really looking for those notes to really dominate a bouquet, and I don't want, I don't like bouquets where I'm like, you know, there might be fucking, you know, there might be some maple syrup in there. You know what I mean? I want a bouquet where I'm like, Holy fuck, maple trees! You know what I mean, and that's yeah. when you and that's the thing. Like, and like I get like my best friends Joe Henry and like he start like they really started the four grain bourbon craze, and I get and I'm and I obviously can't criticize anything you're doing because they kick so much ass, you know. But it's like people are so gung ho on these four grain bourbons, but four grain bourbons are very balanced and pleasant, and there's nothing that's just like a whoop, you know. And that's what yeah. I really want is I want people to, to taste something. They're like, holy shit, you know? And, and it's, it's tough because when you really commit to a single grain in a high proportion, I mean, think of what I just said on that still that's going. It's an 18 inch Vendum column with a doubler that I plan on running 24 hours a day within the next two years. I'm going to be making a fucking shit ton of booze on that thing. It's only going to be four mash bills. And every single one of them is overly committed to something. 49% barley malt bourbon. That's fucking crazy. You're 44% rye bourbon. That's a high, I mean, not a lot of people are made. I don't think anyone's made That's, this 44 that rye is, bourbon. That is the definition of high rye, I think. And the rest are 95% rye. And that's all I'm going to make on there. Because one, right. I can have other stills, but two, that's what I believe in. And mm. once I get to the point where I can really start cranking, you know, malted bourbon and high rye bourbon and, and single barrels of my own, I, I, I'd love to be doing that. I really mm. hope one day to be at the point where, our, our distillates are in so high demand for our blend stock that our single barrels are only MGP sources, you know, but I don't know if we'll ever get there, you know? Oh, so you, do you plan on making single barrels from your own distillate? Eventually. Yeah. I think a couple, you know, for sure. And then maybe there'll be, maybe they'll be, if the market keeps going the way it is, they might all go that way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it, it all depends, you know, cause I can always buy more. I can buy more MGP cheaper than I can make whiskey here. Do you, do you want to make single barrels or do you feel like you're forced to have single barrels? I was forced to make single barrels with my daddy, but I don't <laughs> mind it. 
<laughs> you know, I don't. The thing with us is like, I, I look at it as like, I don't just want to. I don't want to just deplete my inventory because we had a hard year with COVID. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we're we're in a very yeah. We're in a very privileged, and I, I acknowledge this. I'm sharing this with the community because I'm telling you ahead of time. I get that no one else is in this. Very few people are in this position. It doesn't matter if we did poorly during COVID. It doesn't matter if we sold less whiskey. My distillery is going to be fine. And so from my standpoint, I'm cash flowed already. Why don't I just sit on that inventory and blend it? <laughs> you know, why don't I just, you know, all that, all that limo that didn't sell from two years ago, Fuck, I mean, fuck, fuck selling at seven years. Let's sell it at nine or 10. You know, right. we decided to really go heavy on single barrels. And I think in this case, I was incorrect. I think it was the right move to make. Um, it's, the, it's the market response for sure. Yeah. You know, it definitely did. definitely turned a lot of heads for us. I mean, it's, I mean, my business is up hundreds of percent because of it. And it's not just all single barrels. So um, I think it really gave us the exposure and it, it really gave us a, uh, a lot, you know, one of the things that I've been suffering from is this old inventory in the market, you know, and that was something that encouraged people to get through that inventory was right. you know, like single barrels coming in and being like, wow, this six year limo single barrel, we could be drinking this all the time, but we have this three year, let's get the fuck rid of this three year. You know, it really got retailers to get rid of that old inventory, you know, um, which is great because, because then it started moving, but you know, it's just the whole thing. You damned if you do, you damned if you don't. Yeah. But the, from me, from my perspective, there's so, cause I, I, you know, being a consultant, I see a lot of people's inventories. I taste a lot of people's inventories. I buy a lot of whiskey for people, for distilleries. I have my own business where I sell whiskey to people if they have enough money that want to make their own brands. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I'm tasting stocks out of MGP every day of my life, every day. And they're not even mine every single day, even Saturday and Sunday. Cause I couldn't drink enough during the week. Um, where I've tasted so much of this shit, man. And like, there's very few actual single barrels that are stellar. Ste like I've done, I did over 40 single barrels this year. And it's not because I had 40 great single barrels, right? It's because I had 37 stellar blended single barrels that I made. I paired, I blended and then refinished and sold those as limo single barrels. I created those by blending. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about the oversaturation of single barrels here in the next like five to 10 years, because we've had a lot of conversations like during this series about you're tasting five, six, seven sample, uh, samples from single barrels while you choose your single barrel. And there might only be one in there that's true, one that's true to like, this is very unique, but brings you back to that core representation of the brand or whatever skew that it's representing from that distillery. But then you have other whiskeys that are just there because they were barrel aged for in one single barrel, one barrel. And it can be now put out as a single barrel and it might taste a little bit different, but is it exciting enough to the palate? Is it exciting enough to an audience who really wants to taste something unique versus wants to have a trophy on their shelf? Yeah. It's, you know, and that's the thing is like, well, I think everyone wants trophies on their shelves, um, yeah. you know, and, and then that's, that in and of itself, and that's the crazy thing, man. Like, I pop some Alexander bottles this break, and it's like, man, what the fuck are we standing in line for this shit? Hey, I this love my, that. This is my trophy, baby. May the fourth be with you, baby boy. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, but and everyone wants a jersey chase. And we've talked about this a lot, you know. But it's like, what are you going to drink if you're jersey chasing and you're collecting trophies? Well, pop some single barrels. And it's, it's sad because the, the market's going to get flooded with single barrels that aren't going to move. You know what I mean? And then people aren't going to buy others. Because the only other 
something you're going to want to bring in is. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. May the force be with you, baby. Jersey chasing, baby. I love it. The, uh... <laughs> but the thing is, like, you know, it's, it's tough for me because, like, it's just weird, man. Like, think of it this way, right? Blue Run. Those dudes go out and they hire Jimmy Russell and they source tote whiskey that everyone else that's a jackass. I'm not calling them a jackass, but every other jackass that wanted to do a money grab. Literally, hold on, I got him right here. Nick is, Nick is searching for the bottle for everybody who will be listening to the podcast later and is not watching this extremely entertaining Instagram live conversation. You guys, so, like, you guys ever wonder, like, like, I think it was the last three years, where the fuck all this came from? Yeah, every time I see stuff like that. 14, yeah. and it's all 14 and 15-year-old Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, and it's all in a package that's, that, you know, clearly was done by a marketing company, clearly cost them a lot of money. Um, probably as and then, and then it's all like 150, 200, 300 dollars. Yeah, it's all the fucking same. It's the same fucking tote whiskey. It's mm. it's, it's all the fucking same. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just like because so you got people like this and people like Blue Note and people who have come out with this whiskey that's all the fucking same in these master crafted. I think Blue Note is or Blue Run. Is it Blue Run? The Butterfly. Whatever is the Butterfly. Blue Run, not Blue, Blue Note. Run. Blue Run. So they have they they're using 100 percent source distillates. Jimmy Russell's doing their blending for them. They have the dude from Nike SB Dunks designing the bottles. Where is there any authenticity in that brand? There's none. Mm. There's fucking none. But everyone, everyone wants to line up for their allocations and collect all the butterflies and all this shit. These motherfuckers. Who are these people? No one knows who these people are. There is no one. No one can tell me who these people are. But no one gives a... But I come out with a malted bourbon, a product that I had custom distilled for me. I didn't source it, custom distilled for me nine years ago, right? At MGP. Yeah. And I'm a dirtbag because I source whiskey? That I'm telling you I source? Where on this bottle does this say? Yeah. This was purchased from White Dog Spirits in a giant, you know, abomination of a sale of hundreds of, you know, thousands of PGs of 15-year-old Kentucky bourbon. But there's this whole, there's just this stigma that like these people are cool and they got it right and all this shit and like you look at these people and you look at the, the blue note people and you look at all these people and, and, and at the end of the day if the whiskey's good drink it buy it who cares yeah. who cares if it's sourced who cares if it's, i'll tell you what source whiskey tastes better 99 percent of the time than the fucking losers that made the fucking distillate 99 percent of it hey i'll tell you what since i look like such a jackass right now saying this shit it here too, man. For the last like, for like, I've been making booze here for like five years. For the first two or three years, everything source tasted better than everything I made. Everything. Now I think I'm doing pretty fucking good, you yeah. know. But the reality of the situation is, you know, my source 95 rye here, aged here, is different than anyone else's at 95 rye aged source. Unless yeah. unless we all just source it from MGP and let it age there for eight years. You know, and so like there's some, but the market has these ideas of like, oh yeah, well like I only want to buy like, you know, like really good, like stellar Kentucky bourbon whiskey. It's like, dude, this is fucking, this is fucking Barton that didn't make the cut, man. This is, this is Barton that didn't make the cut, man. This could, hold on, because this is how ridiculous this is. Not only was it not good enough for this bottle, 
722 but it also people. wasn't good enough for this abomination of a fucking line. Ooh, wow. You know, so it's like, you, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, what the fuck? You know, whereas, like, you could go and just buy the Barton cheaper. This costs, like, a tenth of this. What in the fuck is going on? Yeah, it's a big question. It's a you big know, industry it, question right now. I mean, like, we even had, I don't know if you heard about the controversy with our Traverse City podcast, um, that we, the barrel that they, single barrel that they featured was about an industry barrel for city of Chicago that was originally supposed to go to a whiskey club, but the whiskey club turned it down. I don't know the whole, the whole details of it all. I keep getting two sides of the story. Don't know who's to blame, who's to fault, don't really care. But the problem that seems like is that they thought it was an MGP barrel and it was technically an MGP contracted through Barton. Well, like that happens. That's what MGP does. They sometimes use Kentucky distilleries to have Kentucky distill it. And there's just a lot of confusion that goes on in the industry. One way to completely avoid it, um, someone mentioned, is to be truthful and be transparent. And that's that honesty will get you, there will be no problems with that. You're not misleading or misguiding somebody at all, not even intentionally or intentionally, unintentionally. But it's, it's just, it's difficult out there for people to understand that it's not just a marketing scheme. At the end of the day, your whiskey has to taste good, but also it has to be at a price point for everybody to enjoy it. Because if you aren't somebody who's going to spend $100 on a, on a bottle of whiskey or spend $300 a week on whiskey, you're never going to get it out there to the masses and will your actual brand ever sustain? He's like 200 a crack. This is like, I think this was like 75 or 80 a crack. Yeah. It's like, and like this, and like this full proof. This is a right. full like 35 bucks 35 yeah but now that's stellar yeah it's fucking stellar yeah it's great you know <laughs> but then like the whole but like the, the whole thing just getting then when you start looking at like okay so 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 we're jersey chasing that's what we're doing we're jersey chasing and we right. don't even know what jerseys we're chasing but we're chasing them right and when you start looking at the market that way it's like well our single barrels are really good way to chase jerseys 100 percent proofs you know, the, the 1792 12 year, all those are, you know, really, I mean, and, and they're not even the only ones, right? But when, you, when, when we look at, when we start limiting and defining quality in terms of like, well, yeah, I don't understand, I, just, I don't even understand it. I don't even understand how somebody can, in good faith, look at me and be like, yeah, but you have source distillates. It's like, I probably have the most unique source distillates in the country. Well, I think that's the story you have to keep telling and keep reiterating to people. I think it's just the explanation of it all. I mean, it's something to have. It's a, definitely a tool in your tool belt to have with you. And it's a strength to kind of keep guiding the whole company along with and keep telling people, like, you're sourcing. You, you made the whiskey. The whiskey was made to what you wanted. It wasn't just put in there for stock and then you happen to walk along three years later and buy a barrel of it. And not even, and, you know, and, and I'll tell you right now because I, I do this with people. I sell these barrels. Most of these distilleries, they don't taste anything. You get a spreadsheet sent to you. This is what we got. We'll take yep. it all. You know, and then you know what most of these distilleries then do is they take it all back to their place and they just dump it in a tank and they put it in a bottle and it's like, okay. And then they lie to you and they tell you that they made it. And it's just like, dude, like, what are we doing here? Well, so where does where does dancing goat fit into that whole um, that whole equation and the whole future of, of whiskey distilling? I mean, I hope. I mean, I'll be sourcing whiskey my whole life because I need whiskey to sell to people. Mm. So I'll always be sourcing for MGP. I hope, dude. When I get when I get five stills cranking here, twenty four hours a day, I'm gonna have excess capacity. I hope people are buying white dog from me. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? But I, but that in the same coin, I'm not going to stop refilling the MGPs that I purchased because my goal isn't to be a whiskey factory. My goal is to have the world's most diverse blending library. I want more shades of paint than anybody, which means that I have to make a shit ton of paint and I have to buy a shit ton of paint and I can't stop, you know? Yeah. Because diversity is the most important term there. It's not the largest blending stock. It's the most diverse, you know? Chef's, chef's kiss right there. Well, I don't want to take up your whole day, baby. So you get back to work and keep making all that good whiskey, blending that good whiskey and spreading the good word that is Dancing Goat Distillery, baby. I love you so much. Love you Thanks too. For us. Yeah, and absolutely. Like, I I'm not trying to talk shit. No, I get it. Like, it's this frustration. Is, this is okay, but everything I said is fucking true. Yeah, I, none of you. You, you stick know? to your words. And I, in this, Stella, my grandfather fucking was the GM of this distillery. I love this distillery. You know, but it's like, this is a fucking shell game, dude. What are we doing here? Why? Here. If you want to criticize anything I've said today, the only thing that you can fucking criticize, why the fuck did I even buy these bottles? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. That was the number one question. Uh, well, that just explains how, uh, how stupid we are. So um, don't listen to a word we just said for the last 45 minutes. Uh, no, that's just I must, be, I must be saving them for a good occasion. Yeah, you are. When, when Wilson comes up there, that's what you're saving it for. Wilson will never come here ever. I don't know why. I want him to so bad, but he won't. Mm. Well, we'll work on that. Tell him to come, dude. Tell him to come get a piece of his ass. Wow. There we go. I don't think there's any better way to end it. Well, for Dancing Goat, as Nick twerks in the background of this video and people with audio only can listen to my description of him twerking in that background, thank you once again. Say hi to Sean and Bo and the rest of the crew up there for us. MVP. MVP. <laughs> MVP. The MVP of 2021 is off to a great start to retain his title for 2022. Yes, hopefully, hopefully there's a repeat in there, but you know what? There's going to be some strong contenders I can feel coming up this year. So if everybody else out there, Mikey Pinstripes might be the MVP this year. Who knows? If we meet in person, it could be possible. It could be possible. Thanks again, everybody. You, I love you, Jake. Thanks for having me. everybody else out there. Um, so much awesomeness out there. Um, the holidays are upon, are getting over finally, but happy new year to everybody. Thank you to everybody who's watched today and thank you for everybody who's listened here in the future. Um, with that, cheers. Adios, amigos. Bye, guys.